Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show on the Compete Network. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and this year we talked to Tracy Berry, Andrew McCotter Bicknam, Paris Scott, Elise Knuckles, Brian Murray about topics like closing the deal. How do product marketers and sellers, how can they partner to knock out competitive battle cards? How Compete supports product. How to navigate these uncertain and frankly, more competitive markets that we're in today. Eight live episodes, two live-ish episodes, four versus shows, more than 50 guests and more bloopers than anyone could and will ever know about. There's obviously so many great interviews I can think of from win-loss with Jen Roberts to competing in a recession with Dooley CEO Chris Harpixon and some other CEO to all of our amazing C Live episodes with the community and the guests there as well to being live-ish at Intellicon for the first time ever. There's no way we could pack every golden moment into one episode, but we wanted to give you, our listeners, a little year interview you can listen to. Might even inspire you to go back and listen to some of your favorite episodes from the year as well. So please enjoy the Competitive Enablement Show Year in Review 2022. Let's go. All right. Today, I am joined by Chris Ignoli, the Competitive Enablement Lead at Juniper Network. What is the difference between competitive intelligence and competitive enablement, the old way and the new way from your perspective? I would say the old way is a one-way conversation where somebody in a cubicle is doing research and they're putting things out from their perspective and it's it's vomited out to the entire teams. And the new way, what we're driving, is very much a two-way street, not only because there's regular communication between leadership and the content creators, but there's also a regular bit of communication thanks to Clue's comment button inside of the platform where the sellers can actively bring things back and say, you know, I love that you told me this is what the competitor's go-to-market messaging was, and that was true six weeks ago, but today my customer said X, Y, Z, and I'd like you to correct that. So they they now feel empowered to bring that information back, and there is a way to keep things current and leverage crowdsourcing. Further, we don't just use our technical marketing engineers and our marketing teams to create competitive content. We leverage the experience that our best solutions architects and salespeople have in the field to help drive and make sure that the content that's being created is impactful. And that's the biggest change. That was an incredible answer, Chris. That was, wow. I'm going to have to listen. I'm going to listen back to that one on repeat a couple of times, I think. (laughs) Today, I am joined by Jen Roberts, not Jenny Roberts, not Jenny with an I, Jen Roberts, the senior manager for go-to-market strategy at Service Titan. I also think this is going to be a spicy episode because I ran out of milk this morning, so I'm drinking a black coffee, which is like, if you know me, that's not a thing that Adam would do. 54% of folks right now in competitive aren't measuring success quantitatively. What's your reaction to that? Is that a surprise? Is that shock? Is that disappointment? All of the above. What what, what do you hear? What do you, you like, hear that? Physically makes me uncomfortable. Um, it's like cringeworthy. I, <laughs> I'm not surprised though. And you know, I think CIs are really tough to measure. Uh, and honestly, I I'm not really sure if any of us have it right. Uh, to be like completely frank, but uh, the fact that over half of us professionals are not tracking our ROI, like how how do you show your value at the end of the day, right? Like. The non-deliverables, 
Um, and so that, yeah, that a physic, I have a very physical reaction to that. Well, in your opinion, why, why is it so hard? And you mentioned that it's difficult. I, I'm not looking at the 54% and saying, shame on you. <laughs> I'm, I think here there's an acknowledgement like, ah, that's sad, but not surprised. So why is that difficult for people in this compete space right now? There's a lot of layers here. The, the first and foremost, right? Like you only need CI when you need CI. As a seller, for example, or as someone in product, like if I'm going up against someone and I'm new to the role, like I need CI, I need those talk tracks. I need that fun. I need all of those things, but you only need it when you need it. I think that's what makes it really hard but not impossible. All right. Today, I am joined by Anthony Fritsch, the global head of sales enablement at Coach Hub. If you want to have a successful competitive enablement program, it needs to be a company-wide effort. Of course, there's always going to be one team, no matter if it's an enablement team or marketing team that is going to push. Uh, because really at Coach Hub, we want to empower everyone and not only sellers to really feed us with, uh, with that intel, right? So... Yeah, of course, setters probably provide us with 80% of that intel, but like it's, you know, everyone's job to actually report back and, and share it back to us. Winning is a team sport, and it's actually one of our uh, core uh, sales value. Like, you know, everyone that has been involved in the process, you know, from the SDR to the sales engineer or to whoever actually gets recognized. So this is really something that is important uh, is important to us because again, winning winning is a team sport. But I think it's also important to, uh, you know, no matter again, your level of seniority in the organization to actually always feel inspired. And, you know, you might've been in the company for you know, three years, but that shouldn't stop you from being uh, inspired by peers. It's like, oh, hey, that's how you handle that objection on competitor X, great. Like I'm gonna check. I'm gonna I'm gonna see by myself if it works, right? You know, mm -hmm. I think it's really that culture of sharing, and mm -hmm. and really, it's like, hey, that's what it looks like. Like still with pride. I'm joined by two special guests, Chris Hartvigson and longtime listener, first time guest Jason Smith. Adam, real honor. Like I've heard a lot about you at Clue, and it's just such an honor to be on your show. Ben, producer Ben in the background, cut that clip, run it on loop. I need, we need to we need to save that one on fire. When we see churn, everybody gets a little bit churn here and there. If we're losing to competitors, then it's kind of a shame on us moment. If we're losing to, you know, we just had to whack our entire sales team or we had cut our budgets by X and unfortunately we can't sustain all of our tech stack. It's a different story. You're trying to stay as an above the line solution for your customers. You should know well in advance because your competitors are probably in there three months, eight months before your renewal is done. And if you're monitoring things behind the scenes, like usage metrics, you should be able to get a sense of, okay, wait a second, this customer used to use this product religiously and we're seeing it slip. What's going on? And be able to dig into that and be proactive and preemptive in your fight for that stuff. And again, from a competitive stance, if you work really well with your customer post-sale, they'll tell you a lot of stuff. Hey, we've been told by RevOps that they're considering switching to blah. We don't want that to happen. How can I help you, right? That's the relationship you want to have. There's one last thing, Adam, that I wanted to make sure that we hit on when we talk about the competitive side of recessions, and that is your existing client base, not just new business. But when there's a lack of opportunity, your competitors go shopping where there's already budget. If budget's tight in the new world and where it's greenfield, they're going to go where there's budget and they're going to get aggressive to your client base. So make sure CS team is sniffing when their competitors are poking around and they're doing it nonstop. You're probably not selling to your clients, but your competitors are.
So make sure that you've got a handle on that, particularly in recessionary times when people are searching everywhere for budgets and those budgets exist with your client base. As much as I love sitting down with experts one-on-one, our monthly CE Live episodes have really taken things to another level. It's honestly my favorite day of the month every month. I've been so blown away by the community of people that have come together for these events. We've had over, I believe, 2,000 folks join us over 2022, sharing their knowledge in the chat, coming on camera to ask their questions, give their takes themselves, and connecting with others in the community. You are the ones who are elevating this industry. And the small part we get to play at the CE show is something we're super, super grateful for. And we're going to do plenty more this year. But let's take a quick look at some of the best moments from CE Live in 2022. Clues Competitive Enablement Manager Brandon, who you've likely heard of and has been on the show many times, he, he took over the reins as host today. And he was joined by Community Brand Senior Director of Product Marketing, Tira Schweitzer and Paul Senatori, a competitive intelligence pro who's had stops at Lyft, Salesforce, HubSpot, and more. The curious uh, me to hear from both of you, but I'll, I'll pass it off to Tira first. Like in terms of yeah, getting not just access to executives, but like insights that are valuable to executives. How have you seen that uh, momentum building or uh, any results from that so far? We've kind of like gone each layer one by one. So kind of getting the sales team on board and then getting sales leadership on board um, and executives as well. Our executives love when we are able to provide any insights um, and direct quote. Um, so we've been able to really spread the information far and wide. Um, and I think that's one of the things that our executives have really enjoyed is that Yes, it's helping sales and it's helping impact revenue, um, but it's also making an impact of how do we market, uh, what channels are we investing in, are those the right channels? We know because not only from you know all of our attribution and blah, 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 but we also have real interviews from won and lost deals as well. And the other piece, which is super enlightening for CI, I think it really, and sometimes I get tipped off by executives saying, you know, we're seeing this vendor in deals more often. We've never seen them before. Are they on your radar? And maybe we'll have a battle card. Maybe we won't. But what we'll do is we'll steer a couple interviews to deals where we lost to a smaller vendor. And we'll find out that they figured out a kink in our armor. They figured out a way in, a weakness we never saw before. And they're small and they're only in maybe 5% of the deals, if, if not less than that. But it enables us to diagnose them early address it fast, keep them small in a corner, and then basically broadcast that out to the rest of the reps um, through the battle cards uh, to address that. We'll get into the nitty gritty. We'll get tactical. We'll get into some specific cards. We'll also get strategic and philosophical about how you should approach building battle cards. And to help me do so is David Washer, the Director of Data Operations at Clue. Thank you so much for joining me. Feature comparisons are not a great option for sellers because what it does is it sort of gives people that lean of, we have it, they don't, or they have it, we don't. And if they have it and we don't, should I keep trying on that deal? What do I do next? Becomes that next set of questions. From a sales perspective, it's not always the right angle, but from a product perspective, that's what they need to see. So what people tend to do is create those feature comparisons for product and then sales sees them and goes, I want these feature comparisons. What I've started thinking about is your goal in the sales process is to repoint to your value proposition. 
And when you're looking at features, your product team is building features around that value and that customer story. If you roll up those features into buckets to say, let's say it's in the sales enablement space and you've got a bucket that covers the sales enablement use case and you say, we are better than them in sales enablement. And then someone clicks on sales enablement and it tells the story about how those, those features really add value to the customer. That's the way I sort of see the feature comparisons going within the sales lens. And I actually see a lot of customers just doing that naturally, being like, we have it, they don't, doesn't work anymore. The nature of compete and the number of competitors in your space is too high. So that differentiation becomes at the solution level and the value level. I am joined by Mitch Comstock, the product marketing manager at Lead IQ. Our second guest, none other than Clue's own account executive, Kaim Narani. As a seller, competitive insights, they're not just a one-size-fits-all answer. So how does Intel need to be presented to you for you to actually use it? Let's be frank. At the highest level, honestly, I think what helps me the most as a seller is actually having talk tracks, like, like consistent, concise talk tracks that I can regurgitate on a call or quickly adapt on a call if I, if I want to change things around. But what I don't find helpful is getting information that's raw. Sometimes I'll come across an article about my competitor's new chief product officer or something like that. And as a seller, to be honest, I don't really know what to do with this, right? And if I go and create my own narrative for it, it's really going to scare the marketing team and it's going to create inconsistent messaging. And when you have these large sales teams that are growing over time, you're going to have sellers that are talking about different things. Um, and that's really not good, right? And it's really hard to bring that all together. So having consistent... Um, regurgitatable talk tracks that I can just quickly and easily access on the fly. Only a couple clicks away because when I need these, I need them quickly. Otherwise, my product marketing manager is going to get a message three minutes before my conversation going, hey, I need information on this. So um, yeah, concise, consistent messaging, short, easy to digest, a couple clicks away. Um, that's how I prefer it. Yeah. I mean, I think any product marketers run into the situation where you build an awesome battle card or some kind of piece of content, and then you see it's not actually getting used. We talk a lot in product marketing about focusing benefits versus features. And I think what Q touched on there, as a seller, you want to be conversational and you want to keep it at a high level of what makes you different, what makes you better than competitor X, or um, even just in general, what are your your big uh, differentiators? So um, I think the other point Q brought up on making stuff accessible, I mean, that's the biggest thing from sa from sales they're busy, they're going to tell you they're busy and that's why they're not using your content. So finding a way to get that to them that's either in their workflow or one or two clicks away, they can scan it really quick and they know what to say. Um, I think that's kind of the, the biggest thing to get that usage. A big moment for us this year was being able to go on the road and attend live conferences. So when Skip Intellicon in Minneapolis came up on the calendar, we knew we had to bring a microphone, a camera, and a tripod that didn't actually really work to capture some of that in-person magic. The result, two live-ish episodes featuring 13 different compete experts bringing you into the action. Here's a taste of what that sounded like. I'm joined by Ashley Isinger, our friend from High Spot. I am so excited to see you in person and I'm so excited to have you join the show. What is one thing you could tell your former self when you were starting off your career and compete? You don't have to get it perfectly the first time. 
I think the biggest thing to remember in any career, but I think like compete is a huge one, is that baby steps make big impacts, right? A lot of time, like especially when I was first starting out, I was really worried about getting everything perfect the very first time, having it very polished. In one of your recent podcasts, you were talking to Andy, uh, Andy Bicknell, right? And he was saying, you know, the imagination of the CEO that's going to find the battle card and be like, oh, this battle card is perfect, right? And that was me too, right? Like 100%. Um, but really, the thing that I found was most valuable was getting these pieces of intel, working it so that it was something that was functional for my salespeople or for my marketing folks, handing it to them and saying, okay, this is, this is what I got. How can this get better? Is this useful to you? And then really iterating on that messaging. So really like take, take the intel you have, take the stuff you have, baby steps, you know, disperse it amongst your stakeholders, say, is this helpful to you? Is this useful to you? And then go from there. It doesn't have to be perfect the very first time. I'm joined by Ryan Sorley, friend of the podcast, friend of the show. Now now you're a recurring guest officially. A recurring, wow. I do feel special, and I will get a mug as a result of being a recurring. We'll see what, we'll see what we can do. So what's some of the data you've seen in terms of how people are using WinLoss Insights to enable um, their end users? We are working with Clue right now on a state of win-loss study, and we just collected 500 survey responses. And we have looked at the data and seen that a lot of organizations are taking the information, 54%, and using it directly for competitive enablement training sessions. And we've heard that from clients time and time again. Whether they're product marketers, competitive intelligence or enablement people, enabling sales is, is their primary focus. 51% are using it for leadership updates, so more and more we're seeing competitive intelligence people being brought to the boardroom to provide that update. And it could be uh, on a quarterly basis, it could be on an ad hoc basis if there's a specific competitor that's emerged that's becoming problematic. But a lot of people are using the data, real-time data for that. And this is data that's collected through win-loss programs, interviews and surveys. So we're seeing a lot of great competitive intelligence enablement, <laughs> competitive enablement use cases uh, based on the data that people are collecting. All right, today I'm joined by Lisa Goldberg from Elucian, and she is the Senior Director of Market Strategy. Okay, I'm a genie. I'm a competitive genie. I can grant you one wish. What is that wish in terms of helping you better enable your teams? I think if I had a wish it would probably be to go back in time and choose an enablement platform earlier rather than using PowerPoint and Word documents because they just took so much time and effort to keep up to date and they were always out of date. And our information is not out of date now. That would be my wish. I swear I didn't pay her to say that one, people. <laughs> I swear. No, but it's true. I mean, now we... We get so many, you know, like people know where the information is. So there's less of them coming to me as Wikipedia going, can you answer that for me? Can you answer that for me? They go there first. And then if they can't find the answer, they come to me. Today, I'm joined by my friend Dan Hamilton. He's the VP of competitive intelligence at this up and coming startup you may have heard <laughs> of. Um, Salesforce. Yeah. Dan, it's a pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. I'm stoked, man. Uh, there is waiters, servers, people breaking everything down around us. We're the last ones in here. We're still here. We're the last ones at the table, still working. We may or may not have been the last people having drinks last <laughs> night as well. So 
we're working hard. <laughs> yeah. and we're, I was networking. Sorry, yes. we were networking. Late exactly, night absolutely. Night. Building our networks. If you're going to start a CI team, especially in B2B, anything, you're going to start with sales, right? That's your first audience. Uh, they're going to love you. You can actually connect, you know, the work that you do to tangible business outcomes very quickly, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, to me, it's just like, how do you move beyond that, right? How do you actually see the big picture? Um, because the reality is, like, I mean, we've, we've gone down this path in the past. You know, you could spend six months building out a new competitive messaging program framework thing, whatever, and that's cool, right? And, and you know, marketing's going to love it. And, yeah, there are going to be some deals that you win because of that. I would rather spend the six months, though, understanding the fundamental, like, nature of the competition and, and almost change the playing field, right? That's, that, to me, is where you actually drive the most impact, and I, I don't think a lot of CI teams really move in that direction. Recording live-ish episodes wasn't the only new thing we tried this year on the CE show. Producer Ben and I decided to dive in and look at competition through a slightly different lens. Competition in the electric car industry, smartphones, streaming, and plant-based meat. Thus was born our occasional versus series. Honestly, it was so much doing these things that we might just have to bring this back for season three. But until then, please enjoy the best moments of versus. All right. Today, I am joined by Ben Ronald. For those of you that don't know, Ben is actually the producer of this podcast as well as a content artist. So he spent many times eavesdropping on conversations, unfortunately having listened to me a lot. And this is his first appearance on the podcast. I think I just want to point out that I it's not like I have to listen to your voice once either. Like I have to listen to it one time through and then again and then go back and then again and again. So I feel like, even though we've only known each other a couple months, that we're quite close. Um, <laughs> so where's this all going then? Ben, Crystal Lonely, because you've done a deep dive. As the thread unravels, you, you're seeing it's not just Tesla Meetup. It's a whole lot and more. So if you were to get the crystal ball out, look into the future, what, what do you think is going to happen in this market? So I think that we won't, we'll stop talking about Tesla as if it's, a different kind of automaker it will just be another automaker and i think there's going to be startups like lucid and rivian that will come and go i mean you know when when we were growing up there was a car brand called pontiac and then the 2008 financial crisis happened and gm decided it, there was no there was no use in having eight brands anymore so i think What's going to happen for Tesla is they truly are just going to be another automaker. I think they're going to still be powerful. I mean, it's not like Tesla's going to just evaporate, but the, this kind of conversation where it's Tesla is this sort of still newish dog and there's, there's still, you know, there, there's something special. I think that the, whatever the specialness is, I think that will start to erode if it hasn't already. What was it? What were the sort of the key three or four factors that that contributed to the demise of uh, BlackBerry as we knew it back then? Number one, the app store was humongous because that comes out around 2008, starts to pick up steam. And from then on out, iPhones are doubling their sales year on year on year for, I think, the next five years. And then from the product standpoint, the touchscreen did become a huge differentiator on the product side because the touchscreen, not only was it a bigger screen, that allowed developers to create apps that catered to a bigger screen. 
video playback was better on a bigger screen. And as they start to iron out the touch side of things, you can do so much more with a touchscreen between pinching, zooming, swiping, up, down, like things that is second nature to us. But iPhone was actually constantly releasing these different elements to their touchscreen over the years. And then I, okay, the third one is less of like a hard thing that like the two first two things like what Apple did. And then the third thing is I think this is the nail in the coffin. It sort of like encapsulates Rim's approach and or their lack of responsiveness to their competitors and what their competitors were doing. Because I think the best example was Rim then come out. They finally like raised the white flag and they're like, you know what? I think the touchscreen might be better than the QWERTY keyboard. And they released what is now called the BlackBerry Storm. Many people consider the biggest failure in BlackBerry's history. And once you're playing catch up in this kind of market, especially against someone that's so innovative and so creative and looking into the future, you're screwed. Like you're done. And if you look at kind of category by category, you know, HBO wins in TV series. They win in mini series. Uh, they win with live TV, they win with late night TV. But where Netflix wins, feature length films, The Irishman, uh, 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 Marriage Story. Um, Don't Look Up. Don't Look Up. These are Academy Award nominated films. Um, reality TV too. I mean, Netflix is the winner of, need, of reality TV in a lot of ways. That's where you want to go for shows like Love is Blind. I like Love is Blind. Um, so your favorite it's, character? So a lot of it is, who's my favorite character? Yeah, well, that's a that's a that's a landmine. This is a very I I only watch like a handful of episodes, but like I think what you say now to anyone that's watched the season, this is gonna be so revealing of your character. Oh, and <laughs> that's so hard because because Don't I want to I want to say Shane. I want to say Shane. I think he's 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 a guy who like I I couldn't I can't stand him. But then he said one time he's like I know I'm a tool, and instantly I was like okay, as long as he knows he's a I get a little myopic over sort of the, the TV series, dramas and comedies, because that's what I like the most. But I can't say here with a straight face that HBO is the best, the best, you know, on all counts, because it's probably not. There you have it, folks. What a year it was. A huge, 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 huge shout out to all of our guests, guest hosts, everyone who makes this show what it is, the brand team, the producers back here. We can't wait to get in action. For season three of the combative enablement show and speaking of season three we need your help we would be very very grateful if you could take our short listener survey we're planning for the season ahead and we want to know what topics you like us to cover on the pod what you want to hear more of less of the people you want to hear from as well so if you could head to the show notes check out the survey it'll be really short and sweet but it means the world to us we very, very much appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening throughout season two, and we'll catch you on season three.